Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They're the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Wendell, and for close to 20 years, I've been a wildly recognized expert in the world of romance. And I'm Alicia Rye, best-selling author of over 20 romance novels. Introducing iHeart's new romance podcast, Love Struck Daily. Every day, we deliver a new love story straight to your headphones. Real-life love stories 100% guaranteed to bring all the feels. A little bit of sexy, a little bit of danger, and a lot of heart. Who doesn't need more love like this? Who wants to go on a first date with me on Instagram Live? Are you serious? Oh, real life fairy tale right there. Badass lady pirate Mary takes her shirt off. Let me show you pirate style. And it just unbuttoned the shirt <laughs> just and tucked it, it off. <laughs> <laughs> and for goodness sakes, just kiss already. Listen to Love Struck Daily on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm in love with you. Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. My name is Paul Lieberstein, and I am a writer and director and producer on The Office. 
and I played Toby. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. I constantly forget that I played Toby. Hello and welcome. Thank you all for being here. This is The Office Deep Dive, and I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, we have the quadruple, maybe quintuple threat, Paul Lieberstein. Now, despite the fact that he almost forgot about it, Paul is probably most famous for playing Dunder Mifflin's HR rep, Toby Flenderson. Toby was a fantastic character, the character that everybody loved to hate. Well, maybe they just hate it. Toby was the character that everyone just hated. But let me be very clear. Toby was hated. Paul, nobody hated Paul. He was one of our original writers. He was a director, a producer, and he was our boss. He was the showrunner on the show from seasons five all the way through season eight, which, well, that means I had a lot to talk to Paul about. And Paul blew my mind with so many things I had never heard before, multiple times during this conversation. So I am very excited for you all to hear it. So without further ado, the most soft-spoken man in television, Paul Lieberstein. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Great to see yeah, you. Great seeing you. Oh How's my it been gosh. going? You've been doing a bunch now, right? I've been doing a bunch, yes. You know way too much about The Office, I think. <sighs> way too much. Now, this is all off the record, correct? All of it. We're not um, going to record We're not going to record. <laughs> no, we're not. We're literally background. not recording any of it. Wow. Hi, wow. Paul. Are we rolling? Um, I mean, you know, we're just, we're literally, we're just having a conversation. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Again, it's all off the record. Nothing's going to be recorded. <laughs> <off> the record. <laughs> um, how are you? How's the work going? It's going all right. Yeah. Works yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, things are good. Things are good. Yeah. Family? Family is good. Family is good. Yeah. Work is sort of so-so, but family is good. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's probably accurate. Family is okay. great. I get a lot of joy from family. And uh and not as much from not work. as much from work. Okay, well, I hear you. All right, so rewind back in your mind like 15 years. Okay. okay? We're going back like 2004. What what were you doing in your work, not with your family? I don't know what I was doing. I mean, uh Well, you were I had on done, King of the Hill. See, King of the Hill, then there was the Drew Carey show and then Bernie Mac show, and then Greg the Bunny. I think Greg the Bunny was the last show that I had done. You were writing on Greg the Bunny? Yeah. And then were you unemployed at that point? I think I was free. You were free? Yeah. Were you aware? So I never really think about it as unemployed. Just free? Because like our jobs come and go. Right. So if you think about it as unemployed, you can hit some very big lows in there. Yeah, trust me, I know. It's just, they come and go. 
Yeah. So you were free. I was free. Yeah. Yeah. Were you aware of the British version of the Oh, office? yeah. You were? Very aware. Okay. I loved it. Yeah. I was aware way before Greg was going to adapt it. I mean, it would really hit the sweet spot of what I loved about writing um, and what I loved about TV. What What do you love about writing? Um, I do like trying to catch real comedy as it seems to exist in the world for me. And I like, you know, situations and it's much less people cracking jokes. Right. And I think there's a lot of room for people cracking jokes comedy, you know, and I, I enjoy it sometimes, but it's not what I, I'm interested in in writing. Right. Um, that was really unprofessional. I didn't silence my thing. Damn it. Um, so it's you, life, you know, we hear noises. We hear noises people in can, life. That's people right. Can deal. And planes that fly over. No one's going to stop their car. <laughs> like, what the hell was that? <laughs> um, what was your relationship with Greg prior to you coming to work on The Office? Um, well, <laughs> very strong. It was, uh, he's my brother-in-law. Right. So you'd known each other for a while. For a very long time, yeah. Yeah, and you had worked together. On King of the Hill. So you were a big fan of The Office. You knew it before he came on to adapt it. Were you excited about that? Thrilled. And I was thrilled when he asked me to be part of it. And I was quite nervous about taking it on. But I, I couldn't imagine not taking it on, too. Because then what am I going to do? Just work on something not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you nervous? Well, because I loved the British. Right. It was done at a very high level. And, you know... um, you know, most adaptations don't work. Right. But because of your relationship with Greg, you didn't know that you would be working on the show, but you showed up for some of the filming of the pilot. Yeah. Just to hang out and see how it was going and just as kind of a viewer. <laughs> Did you give notes? I think I suggested a few jokes. But, you know, notes seems to be a word used when, when someone has like an, an official role. Right. Oh, shit. Okay, what are your notes? <laughs> That's so interesting. I'm not interested in someone's notes. If they have some ideas, I'd love to hear their ideas. Right. Um, so when did you find out that you would be joining the writing staff? I guess after the pilot was picked up, he started putting it together and called. They also didn't have a lot of money because, you know, NBC wasn't releasing a lot of money. So he had a real skeleton staff. And I think I was officially three days a week. Although I started doing five days just because it was fun and there was lots to do. Yeah. I would not like coming in and like something happened without me. It's like, wait a second. No, we just agreed on this. So, so it was better to be part of the whole thing. What specific challenges did you feel or did, did you feel like the writer's room felt adapting the show that, you know, critically and at least with a core group of people was such a huge cult? amazing show i mean obviously we were, we were really challenged everyone there loves the british show i think we just we didn't want to just copy it nor did we want to abandon it but i remember greg saying early on that he kind of like took apart that show like a watch and put it back together and he knows exactly how it works and so i think we just grabbed the principles of how it worked without grabbing anything else i mean there was definitely a mirror like a fuzzy mirror on the english show where you could point to a lot of things and be like okay 
you know, American version of that. So that's the American version of that English thing. But it really wasn't. No. I mean, Jim and Tim were incredibly different, as were Don and Pam. And and uh, you can't even begin to to compare Ricky and Steve, you know. Do you remember feeling a pressure to make it our own or Americanize it? No. No. Just felt the pressure to like live up to the quality of their show. Right. Um, and the it, potential embarrassment. That we <laughs> faced. From, yeah. yeah. When did you learn that you were also going to be an actor on the show? So we, we had a while before we started production. We were writing and writing, and nothing about it came up. It never crossed our mind. But um, I think we had the need for a, someone to come in and do one line. And Greg had this idea that he wanted to kind of break down the wall between the writers and actors, which is like a very like strong, sacred wall, this big tradition. And he thought, uh, let's give it a try. Let's break this down and you know have some writers see what it's like to be on set and have more communication between the writers and the actors. And so I got the one line. But we were up all night writing and uh and it was like four in the morning where we finally went home and then i kind of stumbled onto the set the next day i had one line i didn't really know it very well and i didn't know steve was going to improvise at all and i was so tired when we did it that i think that would like infused the performance quite a bit (laughs) and steve you know he wasn't the giant yet you know he was he was kind of another actor on set. So, I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like coming in season four and having to act with him. Right. That would have been really scary. Right. But we got to know him as we went, so it wasn't so bad. And, you know, we had such a forgiving, as you know, filming style. You kind of couldn't make a mistake unless you broke. Which happened. Which happened, but I didn't break much. You didn't. I would just kind of stop and wait (laughs) for someone else to talk, (laughs) which always happens. Someone would jump in. I I feel like I remember a big break (laughs) from you when Rain got really close to your face and asked you where the clitoris was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely broke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, There was a moment in uh, season one. I was barely acting, you know, I was just figuring it all out. And yes. we were doing a scene together and they kept trying to make me be louder. And, and I was like, I don't know why I would be louder because the person I'm talking to is right here. Why would I be louder? And you said to me, we're sitting next to the refrigerator, which is off. Imagine that it's got a really loud hum and you have to talk a little louder. I'm like, oh, okay. That was the beginning of acting i said that to yeah you. so i taught you everything you know i yeah well <laughs> you tell me one thing that i know yes yes wow you could have given me a little more credit there <laughs> no i learned from everybody on set oh that's amazing you said it's not traditional and there's this huge wall typically between the writing staff yeah and the actors how do you think that that difference in our show changed the dynamic it would have been, I don't think our show would have come out that way if there, if there was a 
strict wall. We were all on the same page with the show, writers and actors, and we became so close with each character and actor and liked them and liked writing for them. And that often doesn't happen when they're so separate. The writers have one idea of what the show is that they want to create and the actors have a different. And so they're fighting each other on set, just create without ever talking, they're fighting each other. Yeah. Right. So I, I think, yeah, it, it was such a, it was such a good thing to do. Often that wall is there because of the producers and the director. You know, the director typically, you know, you're not supposed to have any, this director is supposed to be the only person talking to you about your performance. Right. And I get that. But at the same time, if you have, uh, you know, the show goes for a little while. Actors know their roles better than the director. The writers know the characters better than the director. The DP knows the show better than the director. I mean, the director's coming in knowing the least about the show of anybody. And we're all supposed to, like, not make the show better and just wait for the director to catch up. It's just, it doesn't really work completely. Right. It's the, thing, it's the thing about TV. I mean, it's a great rule for a great rule for a movie. And I mean, you know, you can see like as a director too, and we all became directors, you know, that building someone's performance, you want to tell them just a couple of things. You can slowly try to push them in a direction and, you know, it matters how you say things. And I think we all generally respected that right. boundary while we were building a scene. But we all talked about the scenes beforehand and afterwards, what was going to come up, the stories. And when things weren't working, we just stopped and we just talked to each other. Yeah. I've taken that with me into the future. Like, I, I always will show respect to a director, but I will walk over to Video Village and have a conversation with the writer or the creators on set just about the character or, or what we're going for. I feel like I'm able to have a conversation with them and get to the core of actually what it is what they're the looking. The intention. Yeah. 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 Which that a director is just more skilled at having that conversation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've really, I'm really big at, uh, with intention now. I'm working on the Space Force with Greg now. So we were doing scenes with Steve and I tell him to say whatever he wants and just tell him the intention. Right. I mean, he's going to say whatever he wants anyway, but he doesn't <laughs> right. need me. <laughs> right. Um, did you feel like you had, because of your relationship with Greg, did you feel like you had a, a greater accountability to him when you started working? Like, did you feel? Yeah, big time. I think, you know, there's always this, this I, when two people are working together and related, there, there's, there's this sense of nepotism. You know, and I felt like I had more to prove and I wanted to, for both of our sakes, defend against that by just doing more and being better, you know? Right. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the form of the show. We began over time to find elements that we felt like worked that was going to create, you know, the best half hour of television, meaning... In Diversity Day, for example, like setting that episode in one day, having you know having all episodes for one day, right? That most, most, yes, as a rule, as a rule, yeah, yeah. In which I, I think that's something we broke a handful of times in two hundred episodes. 
And why was that important? When we were talking about the concept of the show, a documentary crew had come there that day for some reason. And everything we shot was contained in like their intention. And the, I know at least the, the first few times we broke that rule, it was because a story lingered to the next day. So they followed it. But it was our feeling that they weren't there every day catching everything. Whereas I think towards the end of the show, we, we decided, no, oh, maybe they just are there every day. <laughs> I have never heard this before. Swear to God. Really? I've never heard this before. Yeah. Why, why did they come? Because they came because uh, they knew um, this person was coming to talk to Michael about, you know, a problem they received, you know, the Larry Moore diversity thing. Or, but there, there was always that hook. Right. Why were they there? Even if it was never stated. Or so like, oh, today it's the Christmas party. Yeah, exactly. You can imagine some days where nothing happened and they just didn't come. Right. That is, my God, that's so awesome. Do we have that there? I loved that so much. I, that Do we have that? Why wouldn't we have it? Are you just recording it still sometimes? Yeah. Are they just? Are you I'm just pressing sure record clear. when you no, no, when you no, feel like making, something interesting is making, happening? No, I'm making sure that it's clear from <laughs> you. Um, okay. So, what did the cold opens give us then? Um, what did that allow us to do aside from that sort of core structure as we as we began to do those? I the 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It allowed us to take on something of a much smaller scope. A pure thing. like. You're bringing in chili was not going to be an episode, right? It was, 
a small thing, a simple thing. One of the office workers brings in some food and here's our little, <laughs> he spills it. And there it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, side note. I love how, that cult open, by the way. It is by far the thing that people talk to me about the most. Really? Oh, there is no question. How do you feel about that? Um, I thought it was a beautiful moment. I never thought it would be this. It was a humongous departure from almost anything that was ever done on the show. It was kind of controversial at the time. There were some people who didn't want to do it. Well, it's only one character for an extended monologue, largely played in voiceover. Yes. (laughs) That ends in that. And they had shower. I showered and showered and scrubbed and just like throwing out dirty towels out of the shower <laughs> to, to the wardrobe people. We filmed it obviously at the end of the day. And Oscar and Angela and I had a dinner that night at Mastro's. We would do this occasionally. We would uh, go out and have a nice dinner and just talk and be human yeah. beings instead of accountants. And I walked in and all I could do was smell chili all over my hands. Just It, just, it was just in my Aww. skin. Um, <clears throat> all right, enough about me. It's a hard time for hiring, so you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm excited to be back with a new season of You and Me Both. You know, when we started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. But I am a firm believer we're stronger together. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. Listen to You and Me Both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder. 
And our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. So you think about the office as this place of ordinary stasis. But to me, what Greg and you did throughout the show was constantly change something, which I think created a kinetic energy that kept spinning through. Was that something that you were thinking about at the time, like trying to keep stirring that pot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I always thought putting Steve in with new blood and a new energy was like worth six episodes of just great comedy. Just every new person that you put next to him. So like Idris Elba, Charles Minor. Idris Elba, yes, exactly. Right. You know, who's clearly not a comedy guy, hasn't done comedy before or since. But that energy next to Steve was amazing, you know, and he just... It's what happens to him, you know, and he becomes a different person. Kathy Bates next to Steve. Holly, Amy Ryan. Um, How do you feel like, in addition to those things, kind of leaning into more of the supporting cast, fleshing out those stories, how did that help keep the dynamic moving? Oh, yeah, that was the key, I think. You know, this idea that there's five characters on a show was this age-old idea. You know, sitcoms have been following that pattern for, like, as long as I've been watching them, 60 years. You know, um, but there's no reason for it. And I'd say in the beginning, you know, it was five-plus side characters, but that didn't last long. Everyone was a character and pretty equal. Right. Um, And then taking turns and, like, saying, okay... And again, a lot of it was, you know, because Steve was the comedy, Michael was the comedy driver. So picking the two, picking two characters to then create an episode around, say, okay, this is going to be a Michael Kevin or a Michael Stanley, you know, with Did I Stutter? Or we could just move that around and kind of take turns and we would get a completely different, new, fresh dynamic going. Right. How do you feel like the different relationships, we move into kind of the love relationships, how do you feel like that made the show different than just a comedy? Because Jim and Pam was almost always played straight. Huh. Yeah. Well, it was charged, you know, so I guess it, it always felt straight. Because that's what you were paying attention to. Um, yeah, something like a relationship, there's just more at stake. And it's very relatable. So I, I think people are... I think they could be having a comic conversation and you don't even hear it sometimes. Right. Interesting. I mean, they had a lot of, you know, they had no shortage of like pranks on Dwight. And that was a dynamic taken from the British that these two are going to connect with each other over pranking Dwight. And I think there was a ton of comedy right. in those. But what you saw you didn't register it as comedy because what you really register is love story. 
Right. There's another relationship that I think was maybe my favorite uh, in the show. Will you uh, play that clip? Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. <laughs> I mean, that, that, when was the idea for that born? It wasn't born in diversity. Steve day. wrote that. Steve wrote that yeah. speech? Yeah. He hated <laughs> And when I was watching some of those things last night, I mean, his face Anytime he is looking at you and angry at you in a way is, is completely trans. He almost looks like a different person and he's, his energy. And at one point he's like, I hate your lemon head or it's just like crazy. It's like I'm a Nazi and he thinks he's doing the, a service to the world by hating me. Well, that, well, that's the other famous one, right? Like if I had two bullets oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was Hitler bin Laden and Toby, I would use both bullets and kill Toby. Shoot Toby to it. I think it happened in um, Meredith's birthday, and we all had to sign that card. So I just had to go in and sign, oh, can I have the card? And sign something really quickly and leave. And he would just watch me do it the whole time. Take after take, he was just standing there watching. And he told me afterwards that he, he felt like the hate for me just just well up inside him during these takes. <laughs> So it was so from that moment is that why you guys decided to to write that story in or to continue that? I, I you know a lot of it he did would, it come from Steve? I think the power of it came from Steve. You know, and he would always do more. Like even starting with Diversity Day, it was just supposed to say he would you know get out or something like that. But he did more. He relished the moment and played with it, and I think he continues to do that and really. You know, when we had these 36-minute cuts and had to decide what would stay, when Steve loved something, he, he, he the performance would be amazing. And I think that's what helped so much of the Toby Michael stuff stay. Right, just his pure power. In just the moment. pure power of his, like, yeah, being being the Corel genius. Right. Um, what was, what's the episode that you were most proud of writing? That's a good question. Money was the first uh, hour one that I did, and I directed it as well. And Greg gave me total freedom. I ran the rewrite and everything. I think that was the one where I, I like totally had control every line of it. And I love doing it. I'm really, I don't know. I'm really proud of it. I got nominated for a director's uh, guild award for it, or an Emmy uh, for directing that one. That one was a really big deal to me because just where in my career it, it fell. Right. What was different about your episodes? Was there a particular strength or interest that you had? Um, I liked setting up very simple situations where people were in basic conflict and really just letting things play with very like natural dialogue. That I don't know. I think I think that's probably a part of a lot of my episodes. If I go back, right. In the writers' room, would you um, would you each have assignments based on what your strengths are, or no, was that no, irrelevant? No, 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 that was irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. There, we, we would work on a story for a while before it had a writer. And I guess in the assigning of a writer, there was thought to who's going to do this well. <laughs> okay. Well, because you ran the show for a while. We're talking about more about that in a minute. So yeah. you were assigning the writers to the particular yeah, episode, Yeah, when I was right? running it, yeah. Right. So would you say, oh, this is a BJ episode, and so BJ, you'd write this, or? Well, I'd never say it. No, well, not out loud, but, <laughs> but is that what you would think? Yeah, definitely. BJ was, um, he's like one of the strongest joke writers I've ever worked with. I mean, he does a lot, a lot of strength. Everyone had a lot of overall strengths, but his, uh, his sense of the joke was extremely sharp. And certain episodes, you know, kind of require that. Right. What about Mindy? You know, Mindy, I probably wouldn't have given her, like, uh, an episode that had, like, it was based on lots of twists and turns and, and big plot things. Because she, she, that was not her interest. And people would excel when they're following their interests. Uh, you know, I mean, she, obviously, she loved the romantic comedy, but it wasn't just that. It, she loved. Well, she wrote the Dundies, right? She right? wrote the Dundies. Yeah. She wrote, I mean, she, I don't know where to begin. She wrote yeah. a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I think about Mindy wrote the Christmas episode where you're sitting on Michael's lap. Yeah. And I think that goes to the kind of the heart of some of the things that she did so amazingly, which was like, just find something that's funny and really play it out. Right. And Greg loved that too. And that's one of the reasons they were such a great team. Um, so the writer's strike happens. Yeah. Season four. Um. Do you remember any way specifically that the office was tied to that strike? And, you know, we were really having a moment in season four. We were very well respected. There was a lot to lose. And as it happened, the fact that Greg went out with the writers and struck set a tone for all the showrunners. You know, and it was because of them, and we could read it online and see what they were saying. Uh, the fact that he he kind of led the charge for showrunners to stick by the writers and shut down the shows because technically he could have worked. Um, I don't know that. I mean, it was such a weird, murky area, right? Um, you could make an argument that he would have been on solid ground to continue to produce the shows. And you could also make an argument that, you know, he, ha he had a responsibility to, to, as a writer, too, to stop writing. Because The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, only prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. As both were possible, he had a choice to make, you know. Right. And a lot of showrunners were very concerned about their shows and they do doing best they can to stockpile scripts. And I think, you know, the fact that Greg was striking was a big part of Steve not crossing the picket line. Right. And that was what brought the, uh, the office to, to stop. Right. My biggest lesson from the strike was, uh, you know, I had taken notes from a lot of directors as I was studying to be one. So we were in the middle of dinner party. Okay. We were about to shoot it. And one director scouted it. It was as if like things were being presented to him and he was figuring out how he was going to shoot it. And, and then we came back, that, av- that director was not available. And Paul Feig, uh, we got Paul Feig to direct dinner party. And he came in and did the exact same scout, but bent that place he came in with a vision and bent the place to to suit it. He was like, paint these walls and do, you know. And it was then that I learned what a scout was, how, you, how I needed to approach a scout as a director. I should fully imagine this space working for me in every possible way I can and say it. And I need to imagine it now in the scout because three hours from now, it's too late. I didn't tell the people what to do. Amazing. Um, how did you feel about when Greg decided to leave and go develop Parks and Recreation? I know he was never gone, gone, but how did you feel? And when did you find out that you and Jen were going to take the show over? Yeah, he and I just kind of went on a walk on Satakoy, and he told me uh, and asked me if I wanted to do it with Jen. And, um, I don't know, I thought it was a big honor. Did you say yes right away? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right. I thought it was pretty, pretty amazing. Were you, did it scare you? Definitely. (laughs) Sure, no, of course. Um, So what, how did the writer's room change? Just pragmatically with with Greg and and Mike both leaving. Um, Jen and I worked together so well. And we could could kind of work together or take turns kind of covering for each other when things got really late. And we both, liked each other's writing so much that uh, it just made it easy. Right. I remember that it didn't feel to me as though much had changed. Because it wasn't like he was gone, gone. Right? So it wasn't it like wasn't we were gone, saying gone. Good, and I goodbye, he, Greg. Yeah. And I think he really wanted to to be the the face of that, too. So he, was, he would be on the calls to the network. He would be at all the table reads and... The places where he would typically interact, he kept interacting. 
I was definitely worried how people would view it. But, you know, at the same time, like, Jen and I uh, loved Greg's writing. And it wasn't like, you know, and I've been on a lot of shows. You know, when someone goes, there, there could be this attitude. Oh, finally, we get to do it our way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're really going to pick up this show. You know, people are going to see the difference here. Um, no, that wasn't it at all. We loved Greg's writing. We loved what he did. And we just wanted to keep doing that. Even though he gave me authority, uh, I wanted him to like the show. You know, this was his show. And after Table Read, if he didn't like it, I would change it. I don't think I ever just said, well, I like it. So we're doing it. Right. We would always find the, the overlap of where we both like the show. Do you feel like you have different sensibilities or generally similar? We have a big overlap, but then we also have areas where we don't overlap. What What would you say the biggest thing about the, uh, in the non-overlap is? I don't know. It's not super clear to me, but I know I used to definitely feel much more comfortable going a lot darker than he would. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I could go dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anybody who is deemed to have power, who thinks differently, is a threat and needs to be eliminated. Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince, is a new true crime podcast that investigates the life and mysterious assassination of the man once destined to be North Korea's next dictator, Kim Jong-nam. Join us as we interview top experts and investigate the rise and fall of the Hermit Kingdom's one-time heir. From his early promise... He should have been the successor. ...to the deadly palace intrigue... There's a lot of cloak and dagger, you know, James Bond kind of stuff about Kim Jong-nam. ...to the power struggles that ultimately spelled his doom. In North Korea, it's business. It's not personal. When somebody challenges you, that challenger must be eliminated. Listen to Big Brother on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 23rd. Hey, it's Jake Halpern here. If you've ever wondered what it's like to make a true crime podcast like Deep Cover, well, now's your chance to find out. Join me and my friend Dana Goodyear, who's the host of Pushkin's Lost Hills podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling. We'll talk about how we make our stories dramatic and accurate and how we navigate all the ethical dilemmas that we face in the process. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com backslash DCLH. That's momenthouse.com slash DCLH. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
when did you find out that Steve was not going to come back? Did you feel confident that the show could continue or were you not sure? Not sure. I thought there was a lot of good reasons why we could keep going. And, you know, we had done so much. I mean, he was seven seasons. I just thought there, there wasn't a lot left. So the show could either find a new direction or it wouldn't work. And we talked so much about what kind of new directions it could be. But then ultimately, I wanted to keep going because we had a great cast. And that's the, the decision not to bring in somebody else huge from the outside and not try to do a big gorilla, which we had talked about too. But we brought in James Spader. We did, but he was part-time. And it revolved. And then we, and then we did uh, Catherine Tate for a while in that job. I think we were, we were finding it. It was not easy in season eight to figure out what the glue of the show was. Right. It had a strong core before. It was, there was a guy who wanted more from this group than the group could give. And almost everything came out of that. Right. I had a discussion, I think it was with Jenna. I think it was her. If it wasn't her, we can change this. But I had a discussion with somebody who talked about one of their biggest disappointments or regrets in the show was that it wasn't, there wasn't enough confidence given to the people that we had, feeling like that we had to bring somebody else in. I think what I said, which I, I can sympathize with, the decision was that at that point, nobody who was there felt like a boss. Yeah. And the other thing was we were getting a lot of pressure from the network. So the network who had historically been behind us so much just changed hands, just changed hands to Comcast just as Steve was leaving. And they wanted a big gorilla. They wanted a big star to yeah. come in and take yeah. it over. Which we fought. Got to say, like, they didn't even know all the characters' names at that point. They weren't really following the show. I, I think we were just a disappointing line item at the time. And then all of TV was losing its ratings. All of TV. Right. And we didn't know how much of a hit we would take with Steve going. Um, but we took a pretty big one. And they wanted those numbers up. But at the time, I mean, what we know now is that was happening everywhere. And people that were starting to stream. Everywhere. It, was sort it of may have even story. happened with, with uh, if he had stayed. Right. You know. Right. Um, there was no way to know. But. That was behind a lot of the pressure we were getting, that I was getting. Was there a specific name that Comcast was wanting to take over? Um, lots of names were floated. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, James Gandolfini, someone we actually met with to explore it. But again, that was going to be in the, in the part-time range because I really did not want to put a new person in the office right. in Michael's chair. I just thought like, we're never going to get that right. <laughs> right. Uh, and we should just diffuse that thing and focus on everyone we had. Interesting. That's what I was doing. And, you know, even when people came in, they weren't the focus. No, absolutely. So I'm surpri a little surprised. Yeah. Jenna's comment. I can't remember who it was, but uh, I'll tell you so you can get mad later. I'm not mad just really, really, really hurt, you know? 
Um, any personal recollections from when Steve left? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was so, uh, well, we were all so tight, you know. I remember, like, giving it, like, a little toast to him and getting choked up after his last scene. Yeah, I was going to miss him a lot. Right. And did. Yeah, we all did. As a person. As a person. Yeah, and as the genius that he, he was. Yeah, but I think it was... You know, our experience of doing the show was the people and the, the talent was, you know, has a lot to do with the product. He was a great guy who set a tone on, you know, and I'm not the first person to say this, but he set this tone that it was really important to treat people well and everyone was important. And, but he was also just really fun to have around. Yeah, I think we all just were sad to see him go. Yeah. Um, so how much were you aware of what Greg's vision for the entire series would be? Like it, it was, I remember hearing early on, so I know you did, that there was a beginning, you know, the documentary crew comes, there was a middle, and that Greg had a specific idea for what the end would be. How early on were you aware of that? Uh, very. You know, those ideas were out. Really, we, we, you know, season one, season two, you need pitch, pitch these ideas, especially season one, and then be like, oh, okay, that's an idea for season eight. Right. That's an idea for, you know, we'll oh, do okay. that in our last season, you know, and like breaking the fourth wall in the documentary crew, um, including that. That was an idea that was early, uh, that we just, Put, put we knew that was going to be at the end. Put away, yeah. Right. We knew it blew up the show. Right. And was there ever any talk of not doing that, but being like ER or something where it would just keep going forever? Was there ever any real talk of that? To keep the show going forever? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Where did you fall on that? I felt it was not possible to make this transition. The idea of to slowly bring people on and shift focus. Everyone would have to really be on the same page for to want that to happen. And not everybody wanted that to happen. Right. And Greg really wanted to finish the story. And you can't finish the story with everybody gone, right? I mean, you would not have had a satisfying ending if, if, no. if after 20 years, if the show is still on now... And after another yeah. five, ten years, we go, okay, well, now we're going to break the fourth wall. The the kind of survivor element where we're just, if we are just in season 18 right now or whatever it would be, I don't know, this show wouldn't be as regarded as well as it is. No. And survivor would probably be regarded higher than it is if it had ended after 10. <laughs> right. Was there any noticeable change in Greg coming back full-time for that last season and your roles changing again? Well, I spent that year mostly trying to get the spinoff going, writing that, casting that, going, focusing on that development. So I really wasn't a daily part of the writer's room. Season nine. Season nine, yeah. Yeah. There was a part of me that was like, that I had kind of finished in a way. But you were still writing, right? I was still acting in every episode. And no, uh, you know, aside from writing The Farm, that's the only episode I wrote that year. Writing and directing The Farm, I think, was the only time I directed that year, too. 
How disappointed were you that 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 did not go forward? Very disappointed, and I think it would have been a really big hit. Why did it not? Again, this is the the shift over to the the new management, the Comcast. I mean, I don't see how someone could not give the farm a chance. Right. Not give the Dwight spinoff like a chance. Like maybe what if it does find itself, you know? Interesting. So for you, it was really about Comcast comes in and buys and doesn't have the seven-year history with the show. is yeah. essentially coming in now as Steve is gone yeah. and the ratings are going down and you're finding yourself creatively. Yeah. And so there hasn't been an investment or a buy-in. Exactly. Yeah. So really we needed a Kevin Riley. Yeah. We needed a Kevin Riley. And to be there at the time. To be at Comcast. Someone that saw what could happen. Yeah. Um, why do you think that the show has become now the most watched show in television five, six years after we've shot anything? Is that true? The most watched? Yeah. Wow. 52 point something billion minutes watched in 2018. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy that is, wow. That's 100,000 people watching it from the moment they're born until they die living an average lifespan. <laughs> wow, are they doing that to some people? I think they should. Wow. That's it, mean. I mean, they wouldn't have a diverse life, <laughs> but potentially a happy life. Oh. Um, do you feel that the show, in your interactions with people, that it's it's bigger today than it was? Oh, it was definitely, on? definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And going younger. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is it connecting with people? Maybe even more so now today. In a way, it was built for streaming. I don't know. There's the, it's a very hard, you know, there's a phenomenon out there. It's very hard to explain. But um, streaming, one, you kind of pay attention. And a lot of shows, you're not given any permission to pay attention because they're so forced down your throat. Um, streaming is lightly serialized. Like the best of streaming is lightly serialized. And we were, you know, with no knowledge of what streaming was. That, that was just how we thought the show would be best. We told stories over years and we, we really liked the mini arcs. I don't know. As a viewer, if I'm watching something streaming and it's, it's too, uh, I have to wait too long for a conclusion, I, I get really angry and I'm out. Right. We found these six arcs and 13 arcs, you know, that we did a lot. Three, six, eight, you know, we, we had, depending on what it was, but like Michael Scott Paper Company, you know, where he takes a journey over six episodes. Right. Which is perfect for streaming. It's very satisfying to watch six episodes, see the beginning, something, see the end of it. And then, you know, by the end of it, we're back to, we're back to where we were. Right. Even though we're playing a giant arc with Michael Scott, you know, that takes seven years to go through about him becoming kind of a whole person. So I, I think I think we're built for this platform. We're built for today really well. So in the last line of the show, Pam says this line about there's beauty in ordinary things. It being Greg's episode, mm -hmm. he wrote it. I have to assume that that's what he thought 
the show was about, that there is beauty in ordinary things. What, what did you think it was about? Yeah, I guess that I thought there was, I was probably a little more focused on there's, there's comedy and ordinary things. I mean, and, and I know he felt both. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, the, the comedy that comes from very small, ordinary conflicts is my favorite stuff. And, uh, you know, when we hit that, I think we were at our best, you know. Right. What are you most proud of? I mean, you led almost half of the run. I'm most proud of what we were as an aggregate. You know, it wasn't a single moment that I'm more proud of than others. Although I'm very proud of a talking head in which you did not know the alphabet. Elemento? Elemento. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean, that little glint, that little glinty in your eye. I go, oh, here's something. I haven't, I haven't ever revealed this before, ever, but I remember you saying to me, I mean, it was just one of those moments about like we were getting toward the end. We're up in your office and you said to me, we need you because Steve is leaving and it only leaves us Dwight. We need someone to do the really, really dumb <laughs> things. I'm so sorry. We need somebody to do the really, really <laughs> dumb things now that Michael is gone and Dwight is there. We need someone to do the things that are bigger and or dumber than Dwight. Oh, okay. Thanks, boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but you, this is sort of a side note, but I'm most thankful for all of the relationships that I made. And I'm thankful to you that you trusted me and gave me an opportunity to direct. Oh, wow. It was a no-brainer for me. Really? I knew you would do an awesome job. Because I'm smarter than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I play dumb, but actually smart. <laughs> no, you, uh, you're, a high, you're a highly trained actor. Right. You were very skilled and trained, and you knew a lot about acting. And w we were an actor's show. Right. So I thought that was a no-brainer. You know, I knew you would do an amazing job. Well, thank you. I, I look forward to the phone call to come direct your, <clears throat> your next show. Um, dude, I appreciate you so much coming in. It's so fun to talk about. This was great. I was with Steve yesterday, and somehow we just started talking about Michael Scott for so long in the office days. It's fun to do. Um, I didn't want to for a long time. It's like, Come on, put this show to bed. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but it feels good now. Go back and talk about it. Yeah. Well, I think that you, and I hope this doesn't sound weird, I feel like you're the unsung hero of the show, that you don't get the credit that you deserve for your vision and innovation that happened during the time that you were there. So I want you to know that I... Oh. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No one said that. <laughs> I I do think you're an idiot. Uh, well, yeah. That takes away some of the uh, good feelings I was just getting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. This was fun. Oh, good. There. 
there you have it. That is Paul Lieberstein. Thank you, Paul, for sitting down with me. You know how much I love you. And I don't know, is it too late to start a petition to revamp the farm? <laughs> I'll ask Rain if he's free. Uh, in any case, thank you all for listening. I absolutely love sharing these interviews with you, so I hope you're loving them too. Have a great week, everybody. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Emily Carr, and our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much, is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do, and I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just, like, wonderful. I, like, have, like, warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 